and I can either have a really cool looking rig in the parking lot at work that I'm spending 50 hours, 60 hours a week working to pay off the credit card debt from building this <laughs> badass rig that never goes anywhere, or I can take a page out of Dan Greck's book and I can drive a, a seemingly basic Jeep and, and have, some, have some fun with it and go some places. Nexon Tire USA, we got you. Find out more about the tires that are on the 2021 Jeep Talk Show Gladiator, the Nexon Rodian MTX at NexonTireUSA.com. You're listening to a 4x4, 4x4 Radio Network Podcast. Are you ready? It's the Jeep Talk Show. With Wendy, there will be body damage. Chuck. I like making people laugh. That's it's good for my soul. Chuck. Yeah, I don't think so. And I think that's a huge deal. So sit back, strap in, and brace yourself. So, Chris, should I bore everybody with my uh, my woe, my story of woe about no internet access for like almost three days in, in a row? No, maybe a little bit. Pick on your, your internet <laughs> service provider. I'm sure they're listening. Yeah. AT&T, who I have had outstanding service all up until I switched to fiber. And I was so happy to get to fiber because it's a gigabit. And, and there's more. I could actually go up to five gigabit on this thing. And I was excited that it's a, it not only is a, a gigabit down, it's a gigabit up. So, wow. yeah, so, and it's cheaper than what I had, which was just, uh, you know, they call it twisted pair, which is this copper wire. And uh, that one was pretty good. It was 100 megabits, which was, uh, which was really nice. And we've been doing the show on that for a number of years. <clears throat> but anyway, the, uh, the fiber was not installed properly. And I don't mean the tech came out and didn't install it to the house properly. It was the contractors that AT&T used to actually bury the fiber cable in the, the backyard and stuff. And Chris, they found out that the problem I was having with low signal quality on the fiber was somebody didn't uh, twist a connector together. Docking. And it was underground. I don't mean in a hole with a cover. It was literally buried with dirt on top of it. So not only was it uh, not connected all the way, it was also dirty. And you know how fiber uh, transmits its data on, right? on light yeah so can you imagine what dirt does to the quality of the light passing through the fiber <laughs> it doesn't pass through i imagine <laughs> well it was it was up and down and up and down so uh the uh, the signal quality is much better now so hopefully we're going to be stable and we uh we, we will be able to record our little uh bookends to these uh, interview uh, episodes uh during our regular time and not at the last damn minute minute like we're doing today <laughs> But we're here, and uh, the great thing is, is that uh, I guess the great thing is, is that even though we were down for three days, uh, it didn't keep us from having the show four episodes a week. And uh, I'm really happy about that because I, I don't want to miss an episode, and I certainly don't want to help tell people I'm sorry we can't uh, get together tonight. Like was I mean, literally on the night that we record the roundtable episode, uh, I didn't know if the internet was going to be back up. I didn't know if they were going to find the issue. And uh, I, I waited till the last minute, minute to send out the newsletter uh, because uh, I didn't want to send out the news send out the newsletter until I had a, a fairly good idea that we were actually going to be uh, recording the episode and uh, and having our Zoom people on at 8 p.m. Uh, uh, Central Time on Tuesday. So fortunately, it all worked out. And and actually, you joined us. Yes, yes, I did. That was a good time. So I'm glad it glad it came back just in the nick of time. Yeah, yeah, very much so. All right. Well, Chris, you and I had a conversation with a gentleman just the other day, a Zoom meeting, because uh, you were cruising, and I don't know, that kind of sounds bad. You were walking around uh, Toledo Jeep Fest in your bright red Jeep Talk Show logoed shirt and your bright red Jeep uh, Talk Show logoed hat. <laughs> and uh, uh, this, uh, this gentleman, I, th- I think, as you told me, kind of waved you over. Yes, he did. He he recognized. He didn't recognize me. He recognized the show, which uh, which is uh, that's a good thing. Oh, that's always exciting. Whenever you're trying to push the show to people, whenever uh, and it's and it's great whenever you're at an event. I've this has happened to me on rare occasions, being at an event and then people knowing uh, what the Jeep Talk Show was. They may not know me. I mean, they they figure it out pretty quick uh, when I start talking. But uh, they just uh, the, the, knowing the Jeep Talk Show, it just makes makes it a lot easier to talk to people about it. Yeah, that's a good uh, good icebreaker. 
So uh, you met uh, you met Tom there at uh, Tulidi Jeep Fest, and uh, what what uh, how did that go? Went well. I met Tom over at the Maximus Three booth, and uh, Tom uh, runs uh, Four Fest, uh, fourfestevents dot com, and uh, got to talk to Tom about Detroit Four Fest, which is coming up uh, real soon here, September sixteenth through the eighteenth, and that's going to be at Holly Oaks ORV Park, just north. Of metropolitan detroit so some of our listeners may have heard of uh holly oaks it is also a badge of honor location badge of honor trail i should say uh so that's going on again the 16th through the 18th of september this year and it's just not detroit uh there's another event coming up uh in october in uh, minnesota and then the 23 is going to be a location in idaho to be announced and then uh sometime in 23 is going to be in your neck of the woods tony at uh, hidden falls adventure park yeah, I was really excited about that because <clears throat> I like going to stuff. I mean, you know, I know you're not in the area where everything happens, but quite a, quite a bit of stuff happens in your area where it comes to uh, vehicles and Jeeps. And that's got to be really cool to be able to get out and go and do those things and see things uh, really close and also to to actually get to meet some of the uh, the hob. What How does it go? You get to hobnob with some of the goober smoochers. Yes, every once in a while, the Goober Schmoochers guys and gals. Uh, so, yeah, it is, it is neat being in the Detroit area and being a part of the automotive industry. Uh, you see things drive by. Um, I, I do uh, a quick story. I, I saw a JL a few years ago right before they announced it, and they kept real hush-hush about the JL. And I, I noticed that it was coming out of a store, and I looked and looked up, and this guy was driving, was backing up. He just gave me a smile, and he pulled away. I'm like, holy shit, that's a JL. And then the next day, I mean, it may have been announced, but uh, right around the same time, it was just really cool. It's like, wow, I kind of saw it maybe two minutes before the rest of the world did. So um, was it was it different enough that you could tell that it was, well, you you always keep up with this stuff, so you probably knew the, that something was coming out anyway, but I was just curious, did it look different enough to you that, you know, well, it's a Wrangler, but it's really a, a different Wrangler than I've seen before? It did, and I think that's why the guy kind of gave me a smile because he saw the look on my face, and he was just backing out of the, you know, backing away, and and then I saw the manufacturer plate, and, and around here, that's that's the big giveaway. Uh-huh. You see something that looks a little different. I think uh, most states you know, it has a normal license plate, but there's a block letter M on it to designate it. It's not a personal vehicle, so you see that, and uh, and it was just it didn't have any of the the camel on it uh, or the the uh, the, oh, the vinyl. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What do they call it? It's uh, uh the, well, it's called bras and panties, but that's not PC anymore. But uh, when uh, when when I was in the uh, working in new model uh, development, uh, it was always make sure you have the bras and panties on it before you let outside in the daylight. If we were working on something that had not been yet announced or released for the public, yeah, they put that like uh, it's not really proper camo, but it's all black and white uh, splotches and things and. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but uh, yeah, it's basically camouflage so that you can't really make out the the vehicle. And I'm sure it has to do all has to do with uh, getting that scoop, that picture, uh, and especially these days, man. Can you imagine how difficult it is that everybody has a camera and everybody has a a, a voice to the world? <laughs> so. Oh yeah, yeah. There and, and the, that uh, they say that zebra. I call it a zebra you know, pattern. Yes, it's supposed to fool uh, autofocus camera. I really don't think it does, nah. but. Uh, what was interesting about the JL, uh, they kept, you know, Jeep was, was so good about hiding that. And there was an image that went out on automotive news that was pretty darn close to what the JL is. And uh, it was a big hubbub in the Detroit area. It was on the news. And uh, somebody within the realm of Jeep world uh, leaked that out there. And I know that was a pretty big deal. Um, industrial espionage, I think they call it. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, was kind of neat because I kind of thought I'd knew what it looked like then when i saw one in the wild i'm like ah, oh, yeah that, that's it that's the jail well you remember what happened when one of the uh, uh former uh, uh jeep talk show hosts uh, was invited to the uh, the plant there i think it was in toledo uh by a listener and got a tour uh, of the facility and got to see the jl and then um a month later uh there was a huge investigation as to uh why she was there and what she did and did she touch the vehicle and did she take pictures and and all this stuff was approved ahead of time? So it, it must have been a reaction to something, some information that came out, and they were trying to find the leak. So it's a big deal. It's very important. Right. Absolutely. 
So anyway, talking with uh, with Tom, I was just really, really impressed with all the stuff that uh, Tom is doing and uh, was really, really happy to hear about Hidden Falls because that's uh, uh, one of those things where it's closest, it's clo- closer to me than Michigan. It's not, I won't say it's close. But uh, if if I can if all I have to do is drive about three hours to get there, that's 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 a lot closer than driving uh, twenty or twenty one. Yes, absolutely. And uh, again, closer to the folks in Minnesota, Idaho, uh, as well as we go forward. And just and talking to Tom, like you said, just seems like a great event. Um, it's got uh, Jeep involved, was my understanding. I mean, Dana, I'm just looking at the looking at the uh, the website, uh, again, fourfestevents.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dana, Fox, uh, Ride Fox, Maximus 3, uh, General RV, Aturo Tires, um, and looks like a, a few more. Uh, so just a good, fun family event, uh, at least the one in Detroit. is going to be, uh, again, uh, 16th, 17th, 18th, so three-day event. So anybody near Detroit, come on out. I, I plan to be there as well. And uh, I'll be handing out some Jeep Talk Show uh, stickers if anybody's interested. Yep, yep. You can go to uh, fourfestevents.com and you'll see the D- Detroit Four Fest coming up September 16th through the 18th. Uh, and uh, Chris, you said you probably would be there on the 17th, the Saturday? Yes, yes. And uh, were you going to be dressed up in your uh, Jeep Talk Show attire or are you go- you're going out there undercover? No, I'll be a I'll be. I'll be on full display. I won't have any any. I won't have any of that silly camouflage we just talked about on. You'll, no, you'll be able to no zebra coats or anything. So, no. uh, well, you still have some uh, some stickers left over from uh, Toledo Jeep Fest. Do you do you mind handing any out if people uh, see you and want uh, want a Jeep Talk Show sticker? Not at all, not at all. But I, I may I may ask them to look at the little zebra like QR code I have because I think that room that zebra reminds me of the QR code <laughs> that uh, seemed to be making a comeback from from the year two thousand two. Um, to uh, sign up for the newsletter. So if you haven't signed up, uh, come see me at uh, Forefest and uh, make it real easy for you to sign up. Very cool. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing the uh, the email. I'm sorry, seeing the pictures that come out of uh, go, you going to that event because uh, there certainly were a lot of great ones that we got from uh, from you from the Toledo Jeep Fest. And man, you just never know when you go to these things now. Uh, I mean, you got to meet Tom out there, who's uh, who's a listener and 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 knew the knew the show. And it uh, looks like we're going to have some great opportunities to, to, to work with Tom. And uh, you just never know when you go to these events what's going to happen. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, the past few years have been challenging for the world. So just get out and say, hey, shake some hands and, you know, bump some fists if uh, you're so inclined and just get out and see the world a little bit. More. Yeah, I'm sure a Everybody. lot of people are really excited just getting, just getting out of the house. Absolutely. You can listen to the Jeep Talk Show live. You never know what will happen or where the conversation will go. You can only hear you. Uh oh. So you're actually getting the best part of the show, is what you're saying. Uh, Uh, Join us every Thursday night and be part of our virtual campfire. It's the Zoom People Fall. Or whoever the spokesperson was. We're starting our own Zoom People podcast. (laughs) Follow us on Facebook and know when and how you can join the conversation. Was it an accident or was it on purpose? And that was a promo that you were actually in, Chris. Yes. Yeah, we suggested <laughs> our own podcast. We still haven't got around to that, but one of these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be uh, that'd be a funny show. Maybe maybe that could be our fifth episode of a week. That could be <laughs> from around the world, <laughs> or from your city, and sometimes just down the street. How to neighbor? It's the Jeep Talk Show interview. Ideal there, boys and girls. It's time for another Jeep Talk Show interview, and tonight we're going to be talking with Dean. Dean has over 30 years' experience between the outdoor and off-road industries. Dean has found his home uh, among the overland adventure travel scene. Combining a lifetime of camping with a love affair of Jeeps, he now travels the country sharing his knowledge and experience with fellow enthusiasts and large, at large events like Overland Expo and smaller events like local rallies. So, Dean, we want to thank you for being here, and uh, I, 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 I've learned that you actually represent many things, a couple of podcasts, but also East Coast Overland Adventures. Yeah, I, I wear a few hats. Um, East Coast Overland Adventures is kind of the home. Um, that's the blog and the website. And then I also host the Echoes of Adventure podcast. I've got three seasons under my belt with that. 
And then I've also authored a book series called the No Highways Tour um, that kind of chronicled some month-long misadventures around the country. And then I have a fourth book that I published, uh, which was on a, a long trip down to Uari uh, in North Carolina that was called The Unlimited LJ Adventure. Uh, so I've got, a, I've got a couple fingers in a couple different pies. Well, really, really good. That sounds great. It sounds like you're keeping busy. Now, one of the things I've kind of learned anytime I, I talk to a quote-unquote overlander, uh, I usually ask the question is, what is overlanding? And I've, I've come up with this really simple explanation. If you're driving someplace and you take a sandwich with you, then you're overlanding. Is, would you say that's a pretty good, uh, <laughs> a pretty good idea of what overlanding is? <laughs> I I've struggled uh, with with this this topic a lot, and I and I finally distilled it down to one very simple question: Are you traveling to camp, or are you camping to travel? <laughs> Gee whiz, that's still not clear. <laughs> well. Because think about it, like if, if I go to the local off-road park, which for me is Roush Creek Off-Road Park, I drive an hour and a half to get there, I spend all day on the trails, and I come home, that's rock crawling or off-roading. That, that's not overlanding. Right. If I drive from here to Florida, and I go to Disney World, and I'm on a road trip, and I'm on I-95 I the whole time, it's really not in the spirit of, of overlanding. And if I drive you know, a couple hours into the mountains and I camp for the weekend and then I come back and I go back to work Monday through Friday. That really, in my opinion, isn't even in the spirit of overlanding because when you talk to a lot of people that overland, there's a there's an element of distance and duration in there. So if you're traveling to camp, you're off-road car camping, nothing wrong with that. I do it all the time. It's a lot of fun. But if you're camping to travel, i.e. you're doing something like what Dan Greck did where he drove from Alaska to Argentina in a stock Wrangler or when I drove from Maine to Florida in a semi-stock LJ, camping was a way to extend the distance of that trip. So to me, that's the variable is are you are you using camping as a means to an end or is the vehicle a means to go camping, you know? That's where I draw the line. But you can still go to be, you can still be an overlander and do rock crawling. I, I think is what I'm hearing is if you're actually camping day to day and going out, it's part of the, 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 uh, the adventure that you're on. Right. And, and I think that's why, like, I, I was very intentional when I came up with the brand East Coast Overland Adventures, because that's what I wanted to, to emphasize was the adventure side of it. Like, I consider myself an adventure travel person. Um, the irony is overlanding isn't even a verb, you know, um, and I have a background in philosophy and linguistics. So this is a very, very deep hole we can fall into. <laughs> um, but I always giggle when I hear people say, oh, I'm going overlanding. And I'm like, it's not a verb. Like the, the, the root word overland is a modifier. So I can do an overland adventure. I can overland travel, but going overlanding you know, is, is I think where people are getting mired in some of the semantics of, of what it is and what it is not. Well, English is just so tough anyway. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, well, that's really cool. That's probably the best answer of overlandings, uh, obviously a, uh, improper use of the word uh, that I've uh, that I've ever heard. So that's that's really good. I like that. I feel a, a, a lot better about what overlanding is now. Yeah, that was uh, Dan Greck. If you're familiar with him, he's the crazy guy who decided to drive a jeep around africa for three years um he and i did did an episode on on my podcast talking about the difference between adventure travel and overland travel and i think one of the other key distinctions is an overland travel person is going to take the easy way and avoid obstacles because they they want to extend the length of their trip they want to take care of their gear they're more about the people and the culture and the food and and the experience of traveling overall. Whereas somebody such as myself, I consider myself an adventure traveler. I'm a thrill seeker. Um, so I want to drive to Moab. I want to drive to Uari. I want to go places like Roush Creek and, and I want to do those technical trails. I just, am going to camp along the way, you know, and, and that's where the, the line I think gets a little blurry. Um, 
but then if you don't focus on it and you just kind of do your thing and have fun, I think that's really all that matters. Yeah. Now, we've actually had Dan Greck on the show a, a number of times. I think we've done four interviews with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I think it's okay to talk about this now. Uh, he actually uh, gave me a crystal skull that he found in Africa. I, I think it's okay to talk about it. If not, I may have to remove this from the uh, from the podcast. So, anyway, the uh, now, now we have a better understanding of what overlanding is, at least your description. I, personally, I've always kind of got the feeling, and, and you guys forgive me out there if this, if this is hurtful in any way. I've kind of got the feeling that people start out as, you know, uh, off-roaders, rock crawlers, all that, and then they say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm breaking stuff, I'm worried about flipping over, and you know what? I, I want to keep the vehicle, but I'm going to start doing overlanding. <laughs> where everything's pretty much flat and uh, it's it's just like then you can take the family out and they don't complain uh too much so that's kind of uh, what i've seen and i think that is one of the things because i bet you don't see a lot of what you consider to be overlanders out there uh doing the overlanding thing it's it's more of a family trip type thing in an off-road vehicle maybe even a very capable off-road vehicle well, I, I think that's one of the beauties of, of the overland travel lifestyle is you can come at it from, from any different angle. And one of the other descriptions I've always used is that overlanding is the intersection between outdoor recreation and motorsports. When, when you mix those two together, it's going to be very, very hard to, to distinguish what is and is not overlanding. Because once you add those elements of camping and stuff like that, then it's like, oh, wow, you know, like we were literally just having a discussion the other day about doing overland, do an overland trip through West Virginia into Kentucky and Tennessee with a side by side. Like, would that be technically overlanding? I think it would be. Um, But like for me personally, Um, my origin story is in the boy scouts and I started teaching merit badges when I was 12 years old at summer camp and then never grew up. Uh, so I came into the overland side of things, the vehicle based side of it, because at the time when I was in college, I was driving a Ford Thunderbird with a supercharger and a five speed and it was lowered and it was not the most practical (laughs) thing to, to take camping or go rock crawl or rock climbing or mountain biking. So I got my first Jeep, which was a 87 Cherokee Pioneer that I paid two grand for. That was a complete and total beater. And I threw my camping gear in the back of it and started going on longer trips. Um, And at the time, you know, the quote buzzword of overlanding really wasn't a thing. And I I don't know if you would want to call what I was doing back then overlanding or not, but that's what got me into the four wheel drive world. Very cool. Yeah. (laughs) I think uh, I've heard that the uh, you can wheel anything depending on how much damage you're willing to take. <laughs> so I'm sure the Thunderbird was fine. Um, <laughs> so the you know, and I, it, we're picking this thing apart, or maybe I'm picking it apart. But but really, it just kind of hits me. It really doesn't matter. Are you enjoying what you're doing? <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't have to have a label. Uh, it, it, this really has to be something that you. Uh, it, it fulfills you in some way. And I, and, I, and I guess it does help to be able to call it a, a certain thing if you want to talk to like-minded individuals, or especially if you're looking for a podcast that's about something. You need you got to type it in. You can't just say, uh, people that are like me that think like me, because that, that, that search doesn't work yet. <laughs> so it, in the big scheme of things, it doesn't matter. Are you having fun? I mean, I, I bet you had fun in your Thunderbird. No, yeah, and, and and I think that's a key thing. Like when, when I teach classes, like I literally teach a class called What is Overlanding? And that's one of the things we talk about is, you know, I always conclude and I always wrap up with it. I said, you know what? No one really cares. It, it's what are you doing and are you having fun traveling the way that you do? And that's often why I always start any of my consulting conversations with why do you want to travel and where do you want to go? You know, once you can figure out those two things, then you can decide whether or not, you know, tent camping and throwing some very basic gear in the back of a vehicle is the best solution or building a global Roamer 5000 that's got more square footage than my college apartment had. You know, there, there's no one wrong or right answer. It just depends on why are you traveling and where are you trying to go? 
So uh, are you considering doing any uh, full Dan Greck where you just take off and you're gone for three years? Uh, not really. I mean, I would love to. Um, but for me, like I, you know, because Dan Greck and I have talked at length about international travel. And for me, once I run out of fun places to explore on the North American continent, I'll think about going overseas with a vehicle. Um, but again, for me, like being that adventure travel person, uh, that, that tends to be what I want to do is like, I want to go to Moab. I want to go to Uari. I want to go, uh, to Winrock. I want to go to those kind of fun places because at that, my core, I'm, I'm still a little bit of a rock crawler. So slogging through the mud of Africa for, you know, a couple, couple years isn't, you know, my, uh, immediate, uh, green flag of a red time, but I don't know, go to Australia and do the canning stock route. I might be able to sign up for that. All right, Dean, I was sitting here looking at your, uh, your website, uh, East coast overland, uh, adventures.com. Uh, should have said that at the, at the, right at the intro. Sorry about that. I like to get, let people get on there and, and start uh, digging around on the web while they're listening to the interview. So it's East coast overlandadventures.com so looking at your events do you not have anything scheduled for 2022 because the last events i see were 2021 i the the 2022 schedule has been uh evolving and de-evolving simultaneously (laughs) um earlier this year i was down in florida for the southeast uh overland and off-road expo and then I just got back from Tennessee last weekend and did the Southeast Overland Camping Weekend uh, in the middle of nowhere, North Central Tennessee. That was a good time. Um, but unfortunately, due to extremely high gas prices and oh, some yeah. uh, personal complications in my life, I've, I've had to kind of cut some of the trips out west. So obviously no Easter Jeep Safari, no... Uh, overland expo west or mountain west most likely um so i'm kind of like shuffling shuffling events around before i have to republish my schedule again so on those personal issues that you have don't put lye on the bodies because that actually preserves the body uh it kills the bacteria so don't use that um okay well uh, good answer especially the the fuel car the fuel price that's the fuel prices are just insane right now uh, I just want to make sure that was some, maybe some uh, some events that were coming up, and if people w- w- went over there and were looking at the events, that you could say, "Oh no, that's we haven't filled that out yet. It's coming up. Don't worry." But uh, completely understandable. So, w- at these events that you go to, or is it is this just a list of where you're traveling to, or do you actually have some classes or something? What do you do at these uh, these events that you have listed when they're listed? Uh, so the the main thing I do is is I go around and, and teach classes. So whether it's a big show like Overland Expo or a small one um, like one of the local rallies, my my goal is to kind of go there, take this lifetime of knowledge that I've accumulated and all this experience that I had and share it with other people. So some, cl- some events I might only teach one class, um, some events I might be teaching every other hour, you know, for the whole weekend um, with, a, with a rather heavy course load. It just really depends on on the nature of the event and i'll teach anything from super basic what is overlanding to navigation communication to trip planning and logistics um outfitting a vehicle for for overland travel camping cooking um pretty much really anything somebody says hey i've got a question i'm sort of like hey that sounds like a really good idea for a class so I was recently at a uh, an off road event. You know, one of those uh, uh, little things where you look around at the vehicles. You don't actually do anything in them. You just they just they just bring them in there and you look at them and you ooh and ah. And one of the things that were there were these. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think they're called travel trailers, but the kind that you that you basically have your your kitchen and water and all the rest of that stuff built into a trailer. Uh, and, and it may or may not have uh, room in there for sleeping. Uh, I think it had a, the one I was looking at had a pop-up tent, something like thirty, forty thousand dollars for this thing. What's your What's your opinion of of dragging a trailer around for for overlanding, where you can you have this really nice area to pr- prepare food? Maybe you got a little uh, storage area to keep things cold. They're just so fancy and nice, but I just can't imagine spending that much money for uh, for a little trailer. 
So I, I built my own trailer. Uh, and when I used it on my first trip, which was a month out in Colorado, Utah, and Arizona, I had $1,500 into it. <laughs> that's so I may not be the best person to ask about the value of a thirty thousand dollar. Well, trailer. I think I think you answered the question. Yeah, so <laughs> I wouldn't. I'm, I'm not spending thirty thousand dollars. I'll build one for fifteen hundred. <laughs> right. So I I have a philosophy, and that is every dollar that I spend on my rig or my kit is one less dollar that I can spend on fuel, and I can either have a really cool looking rig. In the parking lot at work that I'm spending 50 hours, 60 hours a week working to pay off the credit card debt from building this <laughs> badass rig that never goes anywhere. Or I can take a page out of Dan Greck's book and I can drive a seemingly basic Jeep um, and, and have some have some fun with it and go some places. So my first trip um, in 2015, which was the first of the No Highways Tour books, I started in Maine the West Quaddy Light, which is the easternmost point of the continental 48 states, drove to Key West, Florida, which is the southernmost point of the 48 states. I did it over 28 days. I was in 14 different states. I was off-road every day in every state, and I tent camped the vast majority of that trip. I did a little couch surfing too, but I was tent camping, and I was using the same mess kit that I used when I was in the Boy Scouts, the same camp stove I used when I was in the Boy Scouts, the tent I had won for free at a Jeep Club raffle a couple years ago it was a little three-person backpacking tent that somebody just silkscreened the Jeep logo onto, and the dealer doubled the price on it. But we, I won it for free, so I couldn't complain. <laughs> That's great. And then I was using a cooler that my family had been using on road trips since I was in diapers, um, and, and I just loaded up the Jeep and, and went. The only only major modification I had done to the LJ at that point was a one-inch body lift. And I took a set of 31s off my old Jeep, which was a Grand Cherokee, and I threw a set of 31 1050 BFG ATs on it and just went, you know, like that was it. Like I just went, like I just was like, okay, let's go. And there was nowhere on that entire trip that you couldn't have taken a Subaru probably. But again, that kind of goes back to the whole thing. It really doesn't matter what you drive. I mean, yeah, Jeeps are super capable, but... You know, I, I see people that are like, oh, well, I have a renegade. I can't go overlanding. Yeah, you can. Or, you know, just make sure you have good tires and a good recovery point. <laughs> right. Um, but I built the trailer mainly for two reasons. One, I'm lazy. Um, so setting up a tent and tearing down a tent for a 28-day trip, I was like, wow, this is really tedious. And I travel solo, so I got to do all the work myself. And then also, too, with going around and teaching at events my trailer ends up being my booth. So I kind of like having a mobile base camp and a fantasy trip of mine was always, you know, going to work Monday through Friday, driving all the way out to Moab, spending a week or two in Moab and then turning around and driving back home. And the litmus test for that was like, okay, well, if I'm driving out and back, I probably don't have enough money for hotels. And if I camp, you know, I want to be able to take my gear with me, but I don't want my Jeep to be overloaded. So the trailer allowed me to to drop the and set up a base camp. So I literally hauled my trailer out there, dropped it at a BLM campsite right along the Colorado River, and let the trailer sit there for three days. One day I went and did arches. One day I went and did Top of the World and Onion Creek and a couple other Jeep trails. And then another day I went in the downtown Moab and hit the brewery and did laundry and went to the parts store because it's a Jeep and I broke it. So I had to come back and fix it. <laughs> but like, it was nice having the trailer set up and then I could pick the trailer up and I went down to Canyonlands in the Needles District and did the Elephant Hill Jeep Trail and just left the trailer at the parking lot with the ranger station. And uh, somewhere along there, I lost a mud flap. Like I was looking through my photos from Elephant Hill and like the first couple photos, I had two mud flaps, and then all of a sudden, I had one mud flap. So, <laughs> I don't know what happened to that one. So I think you may have answered this question, but it, I immediately started getting nervous about leaving my investment somewhere where somebody could just hook up to it and drive off. Uh, was that a concern of yours, or was there something that you were able to do that 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 you felt fairly confident that it wasn't going to leave without you? 
So the, the, the first thing I'll, I always say about when people have safety concerns about traveling is number one, the world is not as, as scary a place as the news makes you want to believe it. You know, the, the world is not that bad. And when you're traveling and you're out amongst like-minded people, um, you, you're very rarely going to have any problems. Like I am more afraid when I'm downtown on main street than I am 500 miles back into the woods. Uh, weird, but that's true. Now for me personally, the way I built my trailer, if anyone goes to my website and on the right hand side, there's a little series of links and one of them is, is the build on the trailer. Mine is literally an old army trailer with a utility cap on it. There's no windows, it locks. And I use the whole out of sight, out of mind method of keeping honest people honest. Yep. If somebody's really determined, they will literally pick my Jeep up and pick my trailer up with a rollback and run off with it. Um, more power to them. Um, but truthfully, more often than not, you know, what you run into is the kind of compulsive thieves of opportunity and they see something and they see that they could probably snatch it with a, with relative ease and they will. And that's why, like, I never lock the doors on my Wrangler, um, because if somebody really wants it, they're going to cut my soft top. So I'm just like, it's unlocked, you know? Um, but, um, I really haven't had any problems now. If I don't want someone to steal my trailer, sometimes I'll take a piece of chain and wrap it through the wheel and over the axle just so that someone can just hook up to it and roll off with it. Um, I've also gone so far as to, it's got leveling legs on it. And the one time I just spun the lug nuts off the one tire and threw the tire in the back. And I'm like, good luck stealing a one wheeled trailer. <laughs> that's a good idea. Yeah. There's yeah. ways. And, and that's what I was hoping that you would uh, say is that in, in your adventures off road, it hasn't been an issue. Cause I think you're right. Uh, the news is there for a reason. They're, they're there to sell the commercials or sell something. Right. And it's got to be something that's going to scare you or come back to, to keep watching it. So uh, don't be afraid of uh, losing your $1,500 investment. Of course, now it's a, if it's the $30,000 investment, get insurance. <laughs> yeah, and, and there are some people I know that will put GPS trackers, you know, on their stuff, which is, sure. which is smart. Um, but um, I, I think most people kind of look at my rig and look at my trailer and they probably more worried about getting tetanus from it than <laughs> they are getting anything it's like, valuable. Th this guy's having a hard enough life. I don't need to add to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's it, and it's. I always think it's cool whenever you uh, fashion things together yourself. You learn by doing it. You learn how it all goes together. And if it doesn't work right, you know exactly where to go and look. So there's uh, there's a lot to be said for DIY. Oh, one hundred percent. So, I, I watched a lot of MacGyver growing up, um, and when I was a, a kid, kind of got that, you know, that awkward pre-teen age where, like, you're too old to ask for toys, but you really don't know what to ask for, but you don't want to get stuck with more socks and underwear and sweaters every Christmas. So, uh, when I was about 11 or 12, I went to my parents and I said, look, I'll make this super easy on you. Doesn't matter if it's Christmas, doesn't matter if it's Halloween, doesn't matter if it's Easter, birthday, whatever. If you don't know exactly what to get me or I have not given you a clear indication what to get me, give me tools or give me gift cards to go buy tools or, or stuff like that. So my my family has a, kind of adopted this whole DIY lifestyle, you know, going all the way back. So we always get tools or something to go build, to, you know, build with the tools. Um, so building the trailer myself and um, doing that kind of thing is just an excuse to go buy a new tool. And when I um, rebuilt the bed frame uh, before my second trip, uh, the new toy I got to play with was a pocket hole jig. And that was a lot of fun. And uh, that somehow led into getting a new cordless drill because the one we had was too big. So, oh, no, we have to go buy a new tool. Darn. <laughs> Tools make things so much nicer, you know, once you learn how to use the tool and if you get the proper one for, for, for the job. That, that's often the, uh, the, the issue is having the proper tool. Uh, and, of course, the knowledge you're using, it's very important as well. So, yeah. you know, it strikes me that you are, because of your adventures, that you are in a situation that maybe a lot of people aren't where you could feel comfortable 
being in a forced adventure where uh, the, something happens and you got to go on the road or maybe back in the, uh, the you know, 500 miles in the woods and uh, you could survive. I mean, I'm not trying to paint you as a survivalist here, but have you ever uh, in your adventures uh, actually hunted food one way or another, whether it's fishing or uh, traps or any of that stuff and, and fed yourself off-road? Or is it primarily you need, uh, uh, need a store that you have to go and pick things up at? So I'll preface this first by saying I'm the world's laziest hunter. <laughs> Once I found out that my butcher had access to a venison farm and I could get fresh venison year round wow. without traipsing out into the middle of the woods, um, I, I became a very lazy hunter. Um, but the flip side of it is um, when I got my start teaching merit badges with the Boy Scouts, one of the things I actually did was teach wilderness survival and orienteering and um i got a lot of that kind of stuff kind of out of my system uh when i was much much younger and didn't mind sleeping in a shelter that i made myself and um the last probably thing along those lines that i did was i did uh extreme cold weather survival training with the army up in norwich vermont and that was probably about the last time that i would say i've ever done the whole hunt my own dinner thing um but i i am definitely prepared without calling myself a prepper um and i can survive without necessarily calling myself a survivalist um but those are definitely skills i think that do go hand in hand with this lifestyle and i think again when you talk to people and you ask them that question you know why do you travel there are some people who they want to travel to get off the grid to to get away from some of the modern conveniences in life that they take for granted. And, you know, I've literally been camped next to somebody where I'm cooking dinner on my scottle and the guy next to me is rubbing two sticks together, you know, to make his own fire. And I'm <laughs> is, just like, is he glaring at you while you're doing that? <laughs> yeah, no, because like we're, we're both there to have fun and, and have a good time, you know, and I'm just sitting there going, you know, I can do that. Yeah. But I'm lazy. But I choose not to. Yeah. I, got I have you. a lighter and a propane tank. And there's there's nothing wrong with technology. <laughs> no. And, and, and I think that's, and that's, I mean, I come back to that question every single time. You know, I don't, I don't fault somebody for like when I, when I was backpacking, I was an ultralight backpacker. I mean, no, sorry, not me personally. God, I'm, I'm huge. Uh, but I was into ultralight backpacking on the gear side. So I would take a hammock and a tarp and a small little um, camp stove or a rocket stove or something like that and carry some freeze-dried, whatever, dehydrated meal and, and, and go hiking um, and then do that, you know, same thing, canoeing and, and kind of do that minimalist um, thing. But um, I'm a little bit older now and I like having a full mattress in my in my trailer and something nice and comfy and you know, something that the wind doesn't bother me and the rain doesn't bother me, even though I can still be out in the elements. The trailer is a little bit spoiled me. Mm -hmm. Oh, certainly. Well, that's very interesting. It just hits me that it could be very useful, this this fun that you have. It could be very life-saving and, and useful just having those skills available to you and the the experience of uh, surviving, so to speak, where you're not really surviving it. That kind of makes it sound like it's rough. Uh, surviving doesn't have to be rough. It can be fun. In fact, that's kind of what you're doing with these adventures. But being able to use those things and being self-sufficient, I think, is uh, is very freeing because you know that you don't have to worry about uh, power. You don't have to worry about that store being open. You don't have to uh, well, worry really about anything other than just uh, locked gas caps where you can't get more fuel <laughs> from from a, uh, a vehicle that's broken down. Uh, we've all seen The Walking Dead. We know how it works. So... That's really, really cool. Yeah, the, the thing that for that I've seen is is a lot of that preparedness. You know, I talk to friends that, that live in hurricane areas that, you know, hurricane comes through, knocks out power, and they're out there in their driveway throwing out their solar panel and, and running their 12-volt their fridge. Um, so, so I think the two do, do go hand in hand. And then also there's a lot of, of um, vehicle-based uh, hunters and travelers and adventurers. And, and usually most of us will carry something like a three day bag because if the vehicle breaks down, you're a thousand miles away from home, 
you know, you got to have some way to get back to civilization. So that I think that preparedness and survival and that comfort level, um, I think is, is proportional to how far into the wilderness somebody will go. Somebody who's new, they may not want to go 500 miles in off the highway, um, because they don't want to leave AAA behind. Uh, but somebody who has that experience and is a little bit more prepared, you know, could easily make that, that decision. And, and that's where, you know, again, I come back to my role as an educator is I want to, I want to encourage people no matter what level they're at, whether they're just beginning or they're in, in, in an advanced skill level to, to kind of push them further. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we've only we've had a lot of good conversation here, but only scratched the surface. And it just hits me. One of the things I wanted to switch over to was about the, the podcast or podcast that you do. And then it hit me. Uh, you can actually find out more information by listening to these podcasts that you do. So tell us about your your your, po- your podcast. How many do you have? And I think you you said you had three seasons of Echoes of Adventure. But you're in a, a is it uh, two podcasts that you do or more? So I just have the one right now uh, called Echoes of Adventure, and the premise is um, looking back at past adventures and the lessons learned. Uh, that from that past adventure that kind of carry with you and influence not just what you do or, or why you do something. Uh, so kind of what's the echo that remains. So it's kind of a little bit of a play on the, the title as to what it's about. So what I've done is I've kind of gone around and, and talked to some people about um, past trips they went on and what did they learn and how does that influence what they do now. Uh, so it's three seasons. Each season is 12 episodes. And uh, I would argue that my third is definitely my best. The first one starts off a little rough, um, like they all do. We all do, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it, but it's fun because I, I try to explore topics and have conversations with people where, you know, the, again, the people are being honest and transparent. And, and I think social media gives a false front a lot of times that, you know, people who are, you know, whether it's Dan Grek or myself or, uh, Eric with um, Hourless Life or, or any of these people who like, you know, have this really great front on YouTube and Instagram and everything looks like it's rosy and unicorns and all this kind of stuff. What I try to do is peel that veneer back and be like, okay, I was an idiot on this one trip and I got my Jeep stuck for three days in a stream because it didn't have recovery points. Like I- I'll share that story with people so that they can learn from it and then learn the why when I say, hey, you know, training is essential number one. This is why, because I've been that guy without experience who got in over his head and ruined the entire front end of an 87 Cherokee um, and the back end because it sunk into the into the creek. Uh, so the, the whole idea is really just to kind of explore those past experiences. Um, season three, I was very intentional because I built that one around a talk that I give at events called the 10 essentials for the novice overlander. So episode one is kind of listing out all of those. And then episodes two through 11, I actually talk with other industry connections of mine going through each of those 10 essentials. Uh, and, and I kind of not necessarily have an interview, but I have a conversation with somebody and we kind of talk about each one of those essentials. So those topics could be things like, first aid and safety or navigation or tire pressure management. And we literally just spend a whole episode focused on that and some of the tips and tricks that we learned along the way. And I think I heard you say this. So you have uh, interactions with people on the show where they Mm -hmm. share their experiences as well as you sharing your own. Correct. All right, good. So that's, uh, I think that's often very good because it gives a a wider range of uh, uh, dumb things that you don't want to (laughs) do. I mean, trying to think of a good way of putting it, but basically, that's uh, that, that's really what it boils down to. This is because any, uh, uh, pretty much any uh, a, a problem has a solution, but it, it's awful often very good to have uh, how other people did it. It gives you a a head start. While we always all look at uh, YouTube videos before we start working on our jeeps. Yeah. Well, the, <laughs> I, I'm I'm going to make a new instructor shirt um, for this year, and on the front, it's going to say, "Trust me, I'm an expert." But it's going to be a lowercase e, capital X P E R T, 
um, because I consider myself that that kind of MacGyver, the Swiss Army knife, the the jack of all trades, uh, polymath, where I I can teach almost anything. Like I can teach somebody how to use a winch, but I know people that are capital E recovery experts. Absolutely, yeah. They may not have the same knowledge I have on some of the silly random skills that I have, but why would I want to teach winching when I know people like Kyle with Off-Road Consulting or Ted with Overland Experts um, that can do it arguably better than I can? And, and I, I don't have conversations with those guys where I don't walk away learning something. Um, and the same thing with first aid. I've built a wilderness first responder. I've taught wilderness first aid. But my buddy John with Fury Training Concepts is a law enforcement officer with the Park Sir or the um, Virginia State uh, Park Service. He's a firefighter. He's a former police officer. He's an EMT, and he teaches it. And he's got a whole breadth and depth of knowledge that I don't have. So yeah, sure, I I could teach it, but he can do it better, and he's got more knowledge. So I I defer to him, and that's why. I do a, a series of weekends called Overland Skills Weekends, where we kind of focus on a topic. And there are some times where I'm the lead instructor, and there are times when I defer to Ted or, you know, on recovery or driving or defer to um, John Fury on uh, on the first aid and medical stuff, you know, because they're better at it. Yeah, it's always great to learn something from somebody else. You know, it's funny that you say that there's always an expert, somebody that always knows more than you do. And I think, uh, and, and we're not trying here to try to talk anybody into doing a podcast. Good Lord, there's so many of them. But I think that uh, the, there's a lot of people out there that go, I, li- I listen to Tony every week and I can do what that does. I'm, I'm no trained monkey. I could do that. But they're, they're fearful of it because they don't feel like they're experts in the field. The thing you've got to understand is you're the only one like you. And how you pass on the information or how what you say is not going to be able to be done by anybody else. And that's another reason why you should do it your way. So, uh, Dean, I'm sure you found this, that you may not be the expert on something, but if you can't teach the person, uh, this, you know, the expert, if the expert has a hard time teaching, then it's not going to be very useful to that individual. So, Give it a try. Do the thing. Do the podcast. Do the off-road adventure. You know, don't don't feel like you have to have a thirty thousand dollar trailer or you know the newest best Jeep with a thirty seven with the thirty seven inch tires and a six inch lift. Like you say, you got a Renegade. Make sure you got decent tires and go. So I, I think that, in a nutshell, is just a good a lesson for life. Enjoy it. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Like I I got stuck in uh, analysis paralysis for a long time about. Yeah. Uh, whether or not I was going to start a podcast. And uh, the irony is I used to have a radio show when I was in college and I've been a DJ and I've been a sound guy. So like the, the tech side of things have, have, has always been kind of the nerdy part. But I was always that person who's like, nobody is going to want to listen to me for an hour. Uh, like I could make the podcast, but dear God, no one's going to want to listen to it. Um, but I, I think you're right is that, you know, the key thing for me has always been authenticity. You know, you can tell when somebody's speaking from the heart and speaking from their concrete experience about who they are and, and being transparent. Um, and then you can also tell when, when somebody's, you know, talking out of their fart hole and making stuff up just to make themselves seem cool. Um, and I think that's where the encouragement is, is that, you know, everybody starts somewhere, Yeah. you know, um, we learn as Dan, we, we learn as we yeah, go. Yeah. Like Dan Grex driving a, a Rubicon Gladiator around Australia right now, but his first trip was done in a stock four-cylinder five-speed TJ. Oh, I didn't. Re- I didn't remember about the four-cylinder. That poor bastard. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a four-cylinder <laughs> five-speed TJ, and he may not tell this part of the story publicly, but he went through so many spare tires because he bought like this cheap set of discount tires. <laughs> And he said that was his number one takeaway from the trip was make sure you have good tires. Yeah. No, okay, wait a minute. I'm going to write this down. If you're going on a really long off-roading trip, get good tires. That's that's a good yeah. 
That's a good lesson learned. Dean, we have just barely, I mean, I said this earlier, we've just barely scratched the surface. I start talking about the the podcast and it gets even longer and I've got you here woefully too long. So uh, as we talked about, joked about before the, uh, the, the, the interview, we're going to have to have you back. And I really mean that. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime. So a lot of fun, a lot of great information. And uh, maybe we can hone in on a little bit of that information on uh, our our next interview. But thank you so much for being here with us tonight. Uh, Real quick, uh, I think we've kind of mentioned it, but tell everybody where they can find you in the the social media realm, the uh, the website. uh, And we didn't even mention the YouTube channel. Right. So basically everything is under East Coast Overland Adventures. So the website, eastcoastoverlandadventures.com, Instagram, East Coast Overland Adventures, YouTube, East Coast Overland Adventures. Um, The um, podcast is Echoes of Adventure, but that is hosted on the uh, East Coast Overland Adventures uh, website. So if you don't keep track of anything, just remember East Coast Overland Adventures and you will find me. Um, Same thing with the No Highways Tour books. They are on the East Coast Overland Adventures uh, store site. Uh, So... That's that. Oh, and real quick, I'm sure you can find this information on the East Coast Overland Adventures dot com website. But where can people find your podcast? Uh, it is on uh, Apple, Spotify, uh, everywhere. Not, everywhere fine podcasts can be found is what I like. Pretty to say. much. <laughs> like for for a long while, I kept getting emails that were like, "Hey, we picked up your podcast. We picked up your podcast." I'm like, I'm not even promoting this thing, and it's getting picked up, which is, I guess, proof that even a blind squirrel can find a nut. Um, but yeah, it's on all the major platforms, but the, the main ones that I have verified are Spotify, Audible, uh, Apple, which is where I pretty much, uh, direct everybody to. Sure. Apple is the, the line share of uh, all, all our downloads. Echoes of Adventure is the name of the podcast. Go check it out. Uh, and, and complain, uh, to Dean about only doing 12 episodes. How dare you, Dean? You can't have a good podcast and then cut people off at 12 episodes. That's like what these, it's like what Amazon and stuff is doing now, you know, where they give you six episodes of the expanse, those bastards. <laughs> so I'm a storyteller and every good story has a beginning, a middle and an end. Um, so I, I have the utmost respect for people when they get to like podcast episode 532. <laughs> um, but unfortunately I'm so diversified in everything that I do. Um, you just don't I, have the time. I, I wanted to have a very clear beginning <laughs> and middle and end for my podcast seasons. No, it's, it's kind of cool. You can have a life. Uh, but yeah. it, was, it was funny. Uh, my wife looked at a promo that I did today for giveaways that we're doing. And, uh, she said, 590 episodes and i said yeah and she goes oh my god <laughs> she's she's here every time that i'm doing a podcast you know and she goes oh my god that's i thought it was around 400 or something i said nope not for a while <laughs> the, the other thing that reflects is is i uh, completely unrelated to anything jeep off-road or overlanding but i spent a lot of time in the music industry um so i i i did the 12 episode seasons thinking you know, like you could actually put them on a disc, like you could have a yeah. CD with with a whole season on it. Not that people do CDs anymore. Um, no, but it I'll makes go, sense. Go yeah. retro, and I'll put a season, not podcast episodes, on an eight track or something. Oh no, cassette. You know, side A, side B. It's got to be a cassette type. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, Dean. Thanks a lot for being with us tonight, and uh, fun interview. And I don't care if it is forty five minutes, and I'm sure our listeners won't either. Have a great All night, right. and uh, we we seriously, we're gonna have to have you back on. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks again to Dean Shirley from East Coast Overland Adventures. And, uh, well, Chris, you met Dean at the Tulita Jeep Fest here recently, didn't you? I did. I did get a chance. I ran into uh, to Dean there and had a nice chat with him, was able to check out his uh, his setup, his uh, Jeep and trailer, and uh, he uh, he's uh, getting after it. Uh, it was great talking to him. Uh, he's, he's an author. He's written some books and uh, really lives the overland lifestyle and, and looks to bring that to the to the rest of us would-be overlanders like myself. I bet you that's overlanding. So I bet you that was a, a Bob get for us. Uh, do you recall or, or was that somebody that you, you lined up? No, no. I got to say thanks to uh, Bob, two cheap Jeep guys for uh, hooking us up with, with Dean. I think uh, Bob has had a relationship or maybe even uh, been on, on the trail uh, with Dean in the past. So thanks again to Bob for uh, 
getting us together. So whenever you sent me that picture of you and Dean at Toledo Jeep Fest, I thought you were uh, out there with John from, uh, you know, John, one of the, the Jeep Talk Show team members and uh, Zoomer members. Yeah, you, you're right. John and, and Dean, they, you, could, you could mistake them. You could mistake them. Absolutely. I think I've, uh, anytime, and I've spent some, obviously got to meet John last year. Um, um, yeah, I would say, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's a good, good point. That's like, that's this uh, brother what, from a different what mother. Hell, what the hell is John doing up there at the Toledo Jeep Fest? I mean, he's certainly welcome to go, but I would have figured he would have said something. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, D- Dean's Jeep's down on 37, so I don't know. If, if, if that's, you know John, John, you know, John and his 37-inch tires. Oh, don't be jealous. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind having 37s. They're, those <laughs> things are so either. expensive. And fortunately, he, uh, he, uh, uh, John, that is, uh, swapped out uh, front axles, so he should be able to run those uh, locked no problem. So, Yeah, um, he's doing that's, the right uh, thing. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. So I never can keep up, uh, Chris. You know so many people. You keep up all the, the goings and comings of the, the vehicle market. Of course, you're in the right area for that. But uh, had you met Dean before, or was that the first time meeting him? No, first time meeting Dean. Um, spoke with him briefly, uh, getting him together, getting him together with the show and yourself for the interview. But uh, that was the first time I got to meet him and uh, had a good conversation with him. Uh, Toledo Jeep Fest was an awesome event, like we talked about in the past. Rained a little bit, so we just hung out inside for a few for more than a few minutes and just just had a chat he told me about everything he had going on and then uh, later in the uh, afternoon went over to see uh, he was set up toledo jeep fest had a overland camping area that dean was uh kind of overseeing uh, so he has some folks out there just showing him uh, his gear and how to how to get set up what works for him and what might work for somebody that wants to be an overlander i wonder if he camped in the parking lot and uh, just got up and went to the show he camped underneath a bridge down by a river. <laughs> it really was a bridge down by a river. A very nice metro park. Don't get me wrong. It was a metro park. But it was a bridge down by a river, if anybody remembers the Chris Farley. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. So, uh, hey, do you have a, an idea for a guest? Do you work in the off-road industry or know someone who does? Or maybe you would like to be a guest on the Jeep Talk Show. Go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact right now and share your idea for our next great guest. It could be you. Hey, coming up next week, Barack Zitron. Yes, I think I'm saying that right. It's Z-I-T-R-O-N. And the only reason why I know it's pronounced Barack is because we went back and forth for the first uh, 10 minutes of the interview. <laughs> no, it wasn't. But uh, he finally said it's it's Barack. Well, pff, I can remember that one. Uh, but anyway, he's uh, with uh, modaloutdoors.com. Uh, I think I'm saying that right. Uh, it's either Mod L or Modal. I think it's Modal. You know, I started <laughs> I started to call you, Chris, when I found out what this guy was selling. It's a water bottle. <laughs> I was going to ask you, why in the hell you scheduled a, a, an interview with a guy making water bottles? I mean, do you know how many water bottles there are out there? <laughs> there are a lot, but there's nothing like like the, the, the modal water bottle, the modal system. And uh, uh, everyone will hear it in the interview. It's a great product. And uh, um, I actually heard him on the Trail Chasers, another one of the uh, great podcasts on the 4x4 radio network. Uh, he was on with Cody from Trail Chasers, and uh, it was just a good interview. I know it was a good interview with you as well, and uh, she's got a really neat uh, um, um, water bottle, modular modular water bottle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wrap, wrap your arms around that modular water bottle. It's a water bottle. That's a modular water bottle, so really neat product. It really is. My uh, my youngest daughter, who's who's big into drinking water, has been uh, all her life, uh, and uh, Park Camel, I guess. And uh, I told her about it because I knew she'd be excited because it's a water bottle, and uh, she bought the whole you know the this the 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 kit that has everything with it, and uh, she really likes it. And but I got that means I got to see one in person, and it's just uh, it was really cool. And I don't know if she got the shower adapter. I don't know that she would actually use that or not, but maybe it was part of that kit. But you can literally use this thing to take showers in a, a an off-road or overlanding uh, situation. And when I say showers, it's not a huge water bottle. So maybe wash your face, maybe, you know, uh, damp uh, towel off a little bit, rinse. But uh, it's really cool. You can uh, You can use both ends of this thing. You can put a filter inside or on the outside of it. Uh, to clean up the water. Yeah, you should check this out over at their website. It's uh, modaloutdoors.com, M-O-D-L, outdoors.com. 
Yeah, uh, and, and from the website it says modal is like a is like Lego blocks for adventure. Uh, at the swap of a cap, modal transforms from taut notch bottle to hydration pack, water filter, and more. So this is really cool. You got to check this thing out and uh, listen to the uh, the interview next week. It's very easy to sign up for our newsletter. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com/contact. You'll find a link to click and sign up. Don't worry. It's just as easy to unsubscribe as it is to subscribe. Another Jeep Talk Show upgrade is that now even our Yahoo subscribers are getting past the firewall, so you get your newsletter each and every week. Uh, and uh, coming up soon, we'll be able to get it to the AOL subscribers, the, you know, the three <laughs> that are left out there. <laughs> Still out there. <laughs> well, that's all the Jeep Talk Show there is for now, Jeeper. Until our next show, be sure and go to TikTok. And like some of our, you know, we need some love on the uh, the TikToks that we've put up there. And all, and as always, thank you for listening to the world's most downloaded Jeep podcast. Do you believe that, Chris? I, I, I'm not sure. I'm I'm starting to believe it. I do believe it. You said it's at your mom's house, at least. <laughs> yes, exactly. With another enough qualifications, it'll be true. Absolutely. Podcasting since 2010.